All right, well, good morning, everyone. I went to bed at 10 o'clock, which was before I think any child went to bed. <laughs> so I know that some of you did not go to bed last night. <laughs> that it was actually in the wee hours of the morning today that she actually went to bed. So let's see who's had their coffee this morning, okay? So I have a carrot. I have a musical instrument. What do these two things have in common? Nothing. <laughs> oh, come on, come on. Use your powers of observation. What do these two things have in common? Shape. Thank you, right? They're both long and kind of skinny. Anything else? Do we have any coffee outside? <laughs> What do these two things have in common? They're long. They both start with C. Very good. Anything else that these two things have in common? Say again. You use your mouth for both. See, that's good creative thinking. You have had coffee this morning. That is good. Right. Anything else? They can both make you happy or frustrated. You know what? Do you know what? If you were a kid and your mom said, eat your carrots, you could be very frustrated. You're absolutely right. <laughs> At first glance, they don't have a whole lot in common. The carrot and the musical instrument, the clarinet, don't have a lot in common. But we watched a video last night of Lindsay Pollock, a musician educator in um, Australia. He did a TED Talk where he showed how you could make a carrot into a clarinet, right? And that was our metaphor for understanding that God knows who we are, the carrot, and who we will be the musical instrument from which beautiful music flows, right? And the way that that happens is that God has amazing, creative, transformational power to bring this to this. Because you're right. There is nothing these two things have in common, really, right? But God has amazing transformational power to make something like this, a plain old carrot, into something as beautiful as this that could make music come out of it, right? Okay, but how does that actually happen? This is our metaphor for who we are. God knows who we are and who we will be. His creative transformational power is at work within us to bring us from this to this. How does that actually happen? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to continue in the life of Peter. And today we're going to look at three pairs of passages, okay? In uh, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 17, and Luke 22. If you were up this morning and you looked in your uh, reflections journal, these are the same passages that you reflected on this morning. Um, we're going to read through these, and as you read through these with me, I want you to think about our, cent- our question, our central question. What, does these, uh, what do these passages show us about what Jesus knows about us? Okay? What does Jesus know about us? And then what does that tell us about him? What do we need to know about God, and how does that enable us to be in authentic community with God and with others. Okay? So let's pause for a moment. Let's pray as we be, uh, begin um, to take a look at our scriptures. So Lord, we thank you so much for your creative uh, transformational power at work within us and that you are a God who knows us, who knows each one in this room, and that you have the ability to speak straight to our hearts. And so God, as we come to you this morning, we simply surrender ourselves to you, Lord. We ask that you would enable us to hear your voice clearly as you speak to us this morning, God, um, to receive your word for us today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in Matthew chapter 16, 
uh, beginning in verse 13. This is after the feeding of the 5,000 men and women and children in Bethsaida and the four, feeding of the 4,000 in uh, Decapolis. So big, big miracles have come. And in Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And he sternly warned warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is about two years into uh, Jesus' Galilean ministry. You know, big miracles have happened. He asked them, who do you say that I am? And they give a variety of responses. And Simon says, you are the Messiah. And what do we see of, of, of Simon Peter here? He is full of faith, right? It wells up within him. You are the Messiah. And he takes risks in saying this because they just finished saying how everybody else says, well, you were maybe John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets, right? He's actually pretty bold in declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. He's going against what other people are saying. Um, And he's really discerning. He has spiritual discernment because um, the Father has revealed to him that this is the Messiah, right? This is who Peter is, full of faith. He takes risks. He's spiritually discerning. And then let's read verse 21, okay? In verse 21, it says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Oops, right? Peter was, he was just really full of faith, right? Spiritually, Spiritually discerning. And now Jesus is telling him, get behind me, Satan. You're seeing things from a merely a human point of view. Peter is a little bossy. Because he's rebuking Jesus. He's like, no, this is not going to happen to you, right? And Peter is driven by his own human desires and his own human needs. Like, remember, you're the Messiah. We're going to do great things. No, you're not going to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be killed and suffered and die. No, 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 we're not going to do this. He's a little bossy, okay? He's driven by his own desires. And as um, Jesus says, he's driven by a human point of view, not a spiritual point of view. But everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect, right? And so we see here, Peter's doing pretty good, but he makes a mistake, right? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. Let's see what happens there. Matthew 17, verse 1. Six days later, uh, Jesus takes Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. 
As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And the disciples were terrified. They fell face down on the ground. And Jesus came over and touched him and said, Get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone you've seen um, until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is a really important moment for Peter. He sees the transfigured Christ. He recognizes Jesus' divinity, right? And we see Peter, um, he, uh, Simon Peter, he is excited. He's passionate, right? Uh, James and John are there as well, but he's the one that exclaims, this is fabulous! Let's stay here! And Peter is eager to do something about that, right? He's full of eagerness. He says, I'm going to make three shelters. This is great! Right? James and John are not having the same response. Peter is full of excitement. He's full of um, passion, right? He's eager to do something, and he's a hard worker because he says, I will build three shelters. Like, this is a lot of work, right? We see a lot of good qualities here in Peter. And then a few verses later, in verse uh, 24 of Matthew 17, um, they've come down the mountain. Jesus has healed a demon-possessed boy. And in verse 24, it says, On their arrival to Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter. And they asked them, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, Peter replied, and then he went into the house. But before he had a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, what do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or the people that they've conquered? Well, they tax the people that they've conquered, Peter replied. Well, then, Jesus said, the citizens are free. Um, However, we don't want to offend them, so go down to the lake and throw in a line, open the mouth of the first fish that you catch, and you'll find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. And here we see that Peter is eager, absolutely. He is passionate, but he also doesn't really think before he speaks. He's a little impulsive, okay? And Peter's a little bit of a know-it-all because they ask him this question, and Peter just fires off an answer. Yeah, of course, of course he does. He's a little bit of a know-it-all, and he actually gets the answer wrong. So, yeah, he's spiritually discerning, but here he completely gets the answer wrong. No, Jesus does not have to pay the temple tax, right? Okay, so first we thought, well, you know, nobody's perfect. He made a mistake. Well, here we see kind of the same thing happening again. Is there some kind of pattern developing here? Do we see a pattern in Peter's life? Let's look at our third pair of scriptures. This is Luke chapter 22, um, beginning in verse 31. And it's before Jesus' crucifixion. He is sitting with his disciples, and he says, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And so when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. And Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. That is a touching scene. And look 
carefully to see what do we see of Peter's character in this moment. In this moment, we see that Peter is full of love and commitment for Christ, right? Full in lo of love and commitment to Jesus. He says, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you, right? And he, so he's willing to endure hardship. He's willing to endure suffering, right? And he's a leader. Christ actually tells him, when you have repented, turn back and strengthen your brothers. He's already a leader. He will continue to be a leader. These are good qualities of Peter that we see in this moment. Right? And very shortly after, in another moment, we see something else of Peter. So this is Luke chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 54. Um, they have arrested Jesus. It said, they arrested him and led, them, led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there around the fire. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. And finally she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, I am not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. And in this moment, we see Peter again as being very concerned about his reputation, very being concerned about his future. He lies to cover himself, right? He denies Christ even after all that he has experienced, even after seeing the transfigured Christ, he denies Christ three times. We see a different Peter in this moment. So what is going on in Peter's life? As we look at these pairs of passages, it, it, does it seem a little bit like it's two steps forward and one step back, right? Two steps forward and one step back for Peter. What does that tell us about what Jesus knows about us, okay? Jesus knows our abilities, and our limitations. Right? He knows our abilities and he knows our limitations and he actually calls out both of those within us. He calls out our abilities, he calls out our limitations. We see Peter is full of faith and love for Jesus and insight and he's a leader but he's kind of brash and he's opinionated and he's um, um, impulsive and fearful, right? We are the same way. At one moment, we are full of faith and testifying to the goodness of God. And at the next moment, we are too shy to say grace in a restaurant, right? We are the same way, full of abilities and limitations. And Jesus knows that about us. And he calls it out. And he shows us our abilities and limitations. And I'll be honest with you that when I see my own limitations, I often am so disappointed in myself. Right? I feel like I have not lived up to a certain standard that I have set, and I have pretty high standards, so it happens a lot that I'm disappointed in myself. 
Um, and perhaps you feel that same way of feeling like, you know, you fall short of a certain standard when you see your own limitations. A very clear example of this is that I have been serving the staff of the PSWC, the conference staff, for about two years now. Prior to that, I was the associate pastor at Covenant Grove Church in Modesto, and it's a church plant. So a number of years ago, as I was serving uh, at that church plant, um, I oversaw adult ministries and was you know, creating ministries from the ground up, basically. And my ministries were thriving, and it was just a, a, just a beautiful time. Leaders were growing, and people were coming, and you know, the whole bit, everything was just going wonderfully. Well, ministry is a second career for me, and I, I'm actually a psychologist. And I was given the opportunity to do uh, private practice and felt that the Lord was leading me to do that. And so I started uh, moving in that direction to do a private practice. And I discovered that I actually had allowed my California State Psychology licensure to lapse because I had forgotten to pay my um, licensing fees for three years in a row. <laughs> so it, was, it happened at a time when um, I had just had my first child and, you know, had another child shortly after that. And it was kind of that days of, kind of that mode, as you were describing that days of like, what is going on, you know? I had, I had forgotten to pay my licensing fee for three years in a row. And so my license was, had lapsed. Well, when it's just a financial thing, they allow you to reinstate your license by paying a really large fee and taking a, uh, an uh, updated ethics uh, exam. It's a little computerized law and ethics exam that you have to take, right? So I wrote out my really big check, and I read over the book that talks about psychology, laws, and ethics, and I went to take the exam. And, you know, it's a computer test, and you just click, 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 all your answers, you know, and you come out of the little room, and, and they give you your sheet. And so they hand me my sheet, and I look at it, and it says, Gene Chang Gorman, California Laws and Ethics Exam, score, fail. And I look at it, and I look at the guy, and he's like, sorry. And I'm like, are you sure this is mine? <laughs> I'm so sorry. You can come back in six months and take the test again. And I was like, okay. So I thought to myself, okay, well, I have to confess that I am like the classic aging overachiever, okay? So, you know, I have a couple graduate degrees. I've taken a whole bunch of classes. And in the past, you know, when I feel like I'm going to fail something, like I really feel like I'm going to fail something, I end up with like an A minus, right? <laughs> it's like, ooh. But this was not an A minus. This was like fail, a clear fail. And I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. Well, people knew that I had allowed my license to lapse, and um, so a number of people knew that I was taking this test. So I come back, and I tell them, well, um, I failed my ethics exam. And they laughed in my face. They just thought this was the most hilarious thing in the world. Like, what? You're a pastor, and you failed the ethics exam? This is, like, this is hilarious. They thought this was so funny. So I'm like, this is not funny. Well. I decided, okay, I gotta study for this exam. I can't just like read the book. I gotta actually study for this exam. So I actually purchased one of those um, packaged programs that you can get, you know, for studying for licensure. And I studied for that. And, and I went back and I took the exam, you know, did my little click, 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 right? And I come back out and he um, gives me my form with Gene Chang Gorman, California Law, Psychology Laws and Ethics Exam, score, 
fail. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And my score was actually lower than it was the first time. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I have failed the epic exam twice. I have failed the epic exam. This is not an A minus, A minus. This is fail, fail, right? I was so devastated. I was so disappointed in myself. And I kept thinking, I cannot believe I am a pastor who has failed an ethics exam twice. I was so disappointed in myself. And, you know, people thought this was really funny because they knew that I was taking the exam for the second time. And so they were joking around about how I had failed this ethics exam. It was a very public failure, which made it a little bit more difficult for me as well. But I think what was really hard for me in that is that I recognized that as much as I thought that I was living into my identity in Christ, I realized that so much of my identity was really about achievement and performance. And to see that clearly about myself, to see how devastated I was with this little fail on this piece of paper, to, show, to see, oh, I thought, I thought that I was a lot further along. But actually, this is where I am. Two steps forward, one step back, or maybe a whole bunch of steps back. Um, okay, I'll finish the end of the story and tell you, six months later, I go back, I take this exam again, do my click, 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 right? Well, the computer actually froze on me. And I'm <laughs> like, oh my gosh. So I, you know, I get the proctor to come over and he does a little thing, blah, 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 you know, fixes it. And so I'm about to like go through my answers and change it again. And I just got this sense of like, Jean, stop. I have frozen your computer. If you change any answers, you are not going to pass this exam. I'm like, oh, Lord, okay, okay, I got it. So I finish. I come out. You know, he gives me my piece of paper. Right? Dean Chang Gorman, Psych California Psychology Law and Ethics Exam. Score, pass. Woo! <laughs> this time I knew it was not me that allowed me to pass. It was not my abilities, right? but it was the grace of God and it enabled me to recognize that all of my achievements from the past are all by the grace of God and all by the work of God. So for you, recognize it is the same process as it is for me that God allows us to see our abilities and our limitations and there's something that he wants to show us in that process of recognizing our abilities and limitations. So yesterday, I told you that I was from Modesto, and I showed you a picture of the almond trees, right, when they were in full bloom, um, when they're lush, and uh, let's pull up that picture so you can see it, right, big green full trees. That's not how they start, right? I showed you the picture of when um, almond trees are just beginning. It's a little tiny sapling, too weak to even stand against the elements, so there's a big plastic tube that they grow up in, right? So those little shoots will grow into the big trees, but that's not the only process that happens with almond trees. There's another stage in the development of fruitful trees, and that's the stage of pruning. Growth happens right, on its own, but fruitful growth requires pruning. And in the stage of pruning, if you can see, the tops of the branches are cut off. Where something had been has been cut up so that there would be greater fruitfulness. And this is a process that God uses in our own lives to show us our own abilities and limitations. And he prunes some of that growth so that there would be more fruitful growth. Right? 
In John 15, 2, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so it might bear more fruit. In these passages, as we look at Peter, we've seen his kind of two steps forward, one step back. But uh, I think we have to look again and see, what does this show us about Jesus? What do we see about Jesus in these passages? And one thing that I think is important to um, see is the extent of his mercy and his grace towards Peter. Know that Jesus knows our abilities and limitations. We need to know God's mercy and grace in showing us our abilities and limitations. In none of these verses, in none of these instances where um, Jesus responds to Peter, does he say, Peter, how could you? That's not who I thought you were. He never says anything like that. He takes it all in stride because he knows our abilities, and he knows our limitations, and none of that surprises him. And so what he does in his mercy is that he acknowledges our limitations. There is truth-telling in his mercy, right? He doesn't pretend that our limitations um, don't exist. So remember Matthew 16, um, he says to Peter, you know, Get behind me, Satan. You're seeing things from a human point of view, right? He calls it out straight. He tells the truth about who we are. It is a merciful thing to hear the truth about yourself. Next month, I'm actually, I've been invited to be a speaker at our denomination's annual conference. Um, And this is a big honor. Um, I It was a very unexpected honor to be a speaker at the denominational conference. I'm new to the denomination. I've only been in the covenant for like seven years. And the theme of the conference um, is develop leaders. And I was really humbled by this invitation, very very much intimidated, thinking there are so many more people who are qualified to speak at this conference. senior pastors who've been in ministry for decades, you know, people who have written books, you know, people who know a ton about developing leaders. Like, who am I? Who am I to be invited to speak at this? And I was talking with some of my colleagues, my work colleagues, and I wasn't saying all this, but they could tell that I was a little, you know, anxious about um, having this invitation. And one of my colleagues looked at me and said, Jean, let me tell you something about who you are. And he said, you're not an expert in developing leaders. <laughs> I was like, oh, ouch. <laughs> but then I was like, you're right. That's my whole problem. That's exactly why I feel like, why am I doing this? I'm not an expert in developing leaders. He's like, right, you're not an expert in developing leaders. I'm like, right, yes, we've established that. Okay. You know, there was great mercy in just hearing those words of truth. It is definitely what I was feeling inside, what I knew to be true, to hear them spoken out loud, it was a moment of mercy of being able to recognize, no, I am not an expert in leadership development. But then he went on to say, but this is who you are. And you're a woman who loves the Lord, who listens deeply to God, and God has a message to give, and he's using you to give it. And I said, amen to that. Right? There is mercy in truth-telling. 
of acknowledging our limitations. And Jesus does that over and over with Peter. He allows Peter to see his own limitations. And he does so very publicly sometimes, right? But sometimes it's private. In Matthew 17, when he's talking to Peter about the temple tax, he does so privately. He corrects him privately, even before Peter gets into the house. He says, hey, Peter, um, you know, who, uh, who do kings tax, right? Their own people or the people they conquered? And he gives Peter, he corrects Peter. He says, mm -mm, it's not the people that belong to the king, right? It's the people that they conquered. He gives Peter a chance to make it right, right? He gives Peter a chance to make it right again. He says, go out, catch the first fish you get, open the mouth, there will be a coin in there. He gives Peter a chance to make something right, calls him out on what he did wrong, gives him a chance to make it right, not by his own efforts, but by Christ's efforts through him. Open the mouth and the fish, and there will be a coin in there that you can use to pay the temple tax. Take that third exam, and you'll pass it on the third time, because I'm going to freeze the computer when you have enough right answers. <laughs> he calls out the truth of our limitations. He corrects us, and he gives us a chance to make it right, not by our own efforts, but by his efforts through us. And then we see in Luke 22 that he reinstates Peter, right? He lifts him back up um, and reinstates him. Um, we're going to look at that a little bit more closely tomorrow uh, when uh, Peter is given a chance to redo this incident where he denies Christ three times. But know God's mercy and grace that includes the acknowledgement of our, our faults and limitations um, and his grace that allows that truth to not impact any of his plans for us. This point of acknowledging our abilities and limitations is the beginning point for allowing God's creative, transformational work to begin. It is when we realize we don't have anything to offer except being a carrot. That God is able to say, oh, then I can make you into a clarinet, right? We're going to close our morning together um, by coming to the table. And often when I come to the table and I'm reminded of Christ's sacrifice uh, for us, for his death, his suffering, um, I immediately think of the things that I have failed in and the things that I have done wrong. And I have this sense of that maybe I have disappointed God. I've certainly disappointed myself, and so maybe... I have disappointed God as well. And so I, when I come to the table in that way, you know, I receive the forgiveness of Christ for the things that I have done wrong and, you know, the promise of a new beginning. But today when we come to the table, I want to suggest that you would come in a different way. And I want to suggest that you would come recognizing that as God has showed you your abilities and your limitations, he is simply showing you not that you have failed him miserably and that he's disappointed in you. He's simply showing you you're a carrot. You're a carrot. That's all. And there's something going on here. My creative transformational process.